0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Today, we get to have one of our previous guests back for round number two. The last time we had Lily Nichols on the show, we talked all about prenatal nutrition and the guidelines for women and how Basically, they're not just outdated, but they're based on totally wonky science. A lot of the nutritional recommendations for women are based on a man's body. And then we just took some percentage of that and said, here, women, this is what you should have. Obviously, you are just a percentage of a man's body. So she breaks down and goes through 900 different studies why those prenatal nutrition guidelines and even the nutritional science for women is so outdated and what to look for instead. So if you want to check out that first episode, that's all in episode number 43. But after we finished our recording, we ended up talking for another almost hour offline about how to recover from pregnancy, what happens after childbirth, and how the recovery guidelines, especially around nutrition, but also around exercise, are also just so incredibly outdated. One of the biggest things that struck me was that your nutritional needs postpartum can be three to four times greater than they were in your pregnancy state. And there's all this focus on the mom and how when you're pregnant, you have to get all the right nutrients and make sure what you're feeding your baby is really healthy. But what about after you deliver? I certainly had no idea, so I asked her if she'd be open to coming back to do a second episode all about the postpartum period. So she's on our show again today to geek out with us about food science, nutrition, and health and healing. We don't just talk about food either. We talk about all the ways that you heal postpartum and why there are some processes in our bodies that take at least 12 months to recover. So all the conventional wisdom about getting your body back within 10 or 20 or 30 days just doesn't really make sense with what our bodies are actually doing. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Before we get started today, I want to tell you all about the mastermind that we're putting together for the Startup Pregnant community. One of the things that has changed my life the most, this is Sarah talking, my personal life, is being part of communities of women and entrepreneurs where we get to go really deep. People who hold me accountable, that laugh with me when things go crazy wrong, that cheer on my successes, that feel how painful it is when things don't work, and know how much time and energy it takes to really, really make beautiful work in the world. Community makes all the difference. So at Startup Pregnant, we are launching a mastermind program for Startup Pregnant listeners, for Startup Pregnant women, women who are interested in going deeper around questions about parenting, about motherhood, and about leadership in both business and life. We're launching a small private beta version of the Mastermind this summer in June 2018. And if you would like to apply to join the Mastermind, go to startuppregnant.com slash mastermind so that you can get on the list. And when you put your name on the list, I will send you more details about how the program works and what we're looking for and how to apply. So that link again is startuppregnant.com on our website slash mastermind. You can also find it in our main navigation. So go put your name on the list so that you can get more details and apply if this is something that sounds right for you. Lily, welcome back to the show.
1: Hey, Sarah. So glad to be back second time.
0: I know we had so much to talk about last time. I knew that we could cover more. We talked in a past episode about prenatal nutrition and your book, Real Food for Pregnancy, and I wanted to have you back so that we could talk about something that's equally important and probably deserves many episodes from many different angles, and that's healing postpartum. So the first thing I want to ask you about, let's start kind of broad and talk about what it's like to be postpartum. What's it like (laughs) to be a new mom? Let's start there. Can you talk about your experience as a brand new mom and being postpartum and what you wish you had known?
1: Oh, yes. My gosh, I feel like I'm glad that there are so many people talking about this. Now, I'm definitely not the only one. And I think we need a million more voices to talk about this and bring this to the forefront. Because as a pregnant woman, I feel like everything is focused on birth and planning for a perfect birth and then you have the baby and then you're kind of blindsided by the recovery time. My experience with postpartum I don't think was actually anything outside of, you know, textbook recovery, but there was just a lot of questions in my mind about what what I was experiencing was normal or not. And now knowing what I know, I feel like everything I went through was normal, but at the time you're just kind of like, okay, how long am I supposed to bleed? Okay, how long is my you know, perineum going to be sore? How long does that take to heal? Okay, what's normal for breastfeeding? And how engorged is normal or not? Is my baby getting enough? You know, when am I going to feel like good enough to walk around and get out of bed? Like, what can I expect with sleep? I mean, there's just so many things that surprise you (laughs) because you don't know what to expect. And I think I'm glad I'm on today to talk and I'm glad more women are sharing openly about their postpartum experience so other moms can kind of plan ahead for being, you know, overwhelmed and kind of physically, mentally, not themselves for a while. And that's like normal and okay to be expected and something you should actually embrace and almost plan for. That makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: That's such an interesting way of looking at it because there's so much culturally that's like, how quickly did so-and-so get their body back, which I can't even. I, I have to block I those internet sites now if they come into my feed because the more realistic is that it can take 10 to 12 months to really heal because it took that long to grow this human. It's just, yes. ah. So yes. what was your postpartum journey like? Like take us through both the early stage, but then also At 10 months, did you feel normal again? At 18 months, like what was your evolution in your journey?
1: Yeah. Well, I would say the first like couple days, I remember feeling ridiculously surprised at A, how hungry I was. I mean, I knew I should expect to be hungry, but it was like ravenously hungry (laughs) and was hungry for a long time. It's so funny because those first couple months are such a blur. You're in this like weird, you're in this weird state. You're like exhausted from running the marathon that is birth and then like exhausted because you're taking care of this baby and not on any sort of a sleep. I don't want to say sleep routine because sometimes that's non-existent for older babies too. But I mean, when they're newborns, they're eating around the clock. Right. So I just remember feeling very tired. You know, ironically, when I think back to the first couple weeks, I remember feeling at like one week, wow, I'm amazed at how much better I feel this week than I did last week. And same thing at two weeks and like at a month, like the first two months, I felt like every week or two, I felt dramatically better. But what surprised me mostly was I think I went out trying to remember, it was like two or three months postpartum. I went out for a hike. And this is something I did all the time, like my whole pregnancy. And it's like my favorite activity. So we do a lot of hiking. And we went out for a hike, it was like kind of a moderate rigorous-ish hike, but going slow. And my husband was wearing the baby in a baby carrier. And I remember we got about a mile in. And I had done some walks before, but it hadn't been this long. And as treacherous, you know, we're like a lot of elevation gain. And I remember about like a mile in feeling like, you know, something doesn't feel right in my perineum. I like felt like my insides were kind of falling out, which is, you know, some would call it prolapse, but also there's some of that that's just, normal. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. So I started not feeling right there. And I was like, you know, I think we need to turn around. I had to end the hike early, because I wasn't feeling good. And it really scared me because I was like, am I not going to be able to hike anymore? Is this permanent? Have I exercised too soon? I mean, I got the clear from my doctor at six weeks postpartum. She said there was no prolapse, there was no issue. But it really worried me like, crap, what if my body is like permanently? messed up and I can't hike anymore. I mean, this is like, yeah, it's a semi rigorous, but it's not like I'm doing CrossFit or something. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> it was mm-hmm. really disheartening. It was later on that I ended up going and seeing a public floor physical therapist. It was, I don't know, six, eight months, maybe postpartum. And she's like, no, everything's fine down there. You're just still healing. You know, it takes a full year for pelvic floor function to go back to normal. And I was like, a full year? Like, what? I had always heard three to six months, so I figured out like two, three months I should be good, and I had taken really good care of myself during pregnancy. You know, in my past, I've been a Pilates instructor. I worked for women's physical therapists and taught postpartum Pilates. Like, in terms of, you know, mind body connection to pelvic floor function and knowing how to carefully, you know, engage my pelvic floor and my abdominal muscles and all this stuff and recovery, like, I was. More prepared than the average woman, but I was still blindsided by how long I could actually expect the recovery time to be. So fast forward, it was probably about 10 months that I felt like everything was normal. You know, there was no prolapse. There was no issue. It was just like your connective tissue has undergone a lot of changes in pregnancy. And regardless of the way you birth, because this happens to women who have vaginal or C section births, and it takes a long time for those connective tissues and ligaments and joints and everything to come back to their you know baseline so for me that was about 10 months and so I really kept it easy in terms of exercise because I didn't want to make that worse and I know there's a lot of women who jump into exercise too intense of exercise too early postpartum and then they end up sometimes with permanent issues or worsening prolapse and so I didn't want to do that so I was just very, very cautious for a lot longer than I thought I had to be. I'm glad that I did that because I didn't want to be dealing with something worse. And now I'm about two years postpartum and there's, you know, zero issues. So it was like, I was one of those, you know, lucky ones that preserved my pelvic floor function by taking it easy. But I don't think most women are anticipating the healing time to be so long. And certainly everybody has different experiences. So I'm not saying this is the norm, but this was my experience with it. I'm kind of outspoken about women really taking it easy. And that's like physically, we're not even getting into, you know, breastfeeding and emotional and all this stuff. We're talking like physical healing, taking it easy with that. And then a really super nourishing yourself because you can also you know eat specific foods that help to heal your connective tissues as well (sighs) but I think we just need to set up the expectation from the get-go that there's no such thing as your body bouncing back like for all intents and purposes I actually from the outside I looked great like I lost the baby weight actually pretty quickly and people were like wow it doesn't even look like you had a baby but my body didn't feel that way I hate all the expectations and the outward stuff, because a lot of that is out of your control. People gain and lose weight at all different rates. But I'm saying that like even for somebody from the outside that looked like, oh, hey, she's totally healed. She is good to go. And even with a public floor physical therapist saying, you know, all looks good. It's probably going to heal up just fine. Just it's a matter of time. Like I still needed to take it easy and I still needed to take a lot of time to feel normal again.
0: I love so much of what you're saying. And I'm so grateful that you're talking about the different rates of change, because I had a similar experience where some things changed really fast in the beginning. Like you're surprised how quickly parts of you feel back to normal within a week or two. I remember somebody telling me before birth, they said, it won't feel like the first 10 days always just remember, like, you'll you'll surprise yourself. And what you said about that first week and the second week, 100%. There's things where you're like, Oh, I'm back to this. And that's great. And then there's other things that I don't think I felt right peeing for six months. It felt like a battering ram came out of me. My kid shot out so fast that I felt like everything got blown up and turned around down there. And it hurt to pee for a while. I didn't have like the leakage. Some people have leakage for a while. And it just took time and coconut oil and like self massage because I had a lot of tearing and scarring. But then around six months, I remember feeling like, oh, like the bathroom's no big deal and like sex is okay again. I'll say this out loud because I think it's so beneficial for people to hear. I didn't want to have sex for six months because it didn't feel right. It didn't feel good. My scarring took a long time to heal. And I remember being so scared that I was like letting my partner down or that like we weren't going to have a sex life again. He looked at me like it was hysterical. He was like, first of all, you just did this major thing. Second of all, I've been a teenage boy. Like I know how to take care <laughs> of myself in the shower. Like it's not a problem." And I was like, "Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Like that's true. Yeah. Like if you gotta get some, go get some. Like and I'll just let you look, not touch my boobies, right? Like <laughs> there's <That's, laughs> like, Don't you dare touch
1: them.
0: I was like, no touching, a breastfeeding like
1: mother, right? Totally. And also,
0: like there's that emotional." side that feels like I'm literally like my body's not my own. It doesn't feel good. It's not healed. Everyone's taking from it. Yes. I've been in service of this thing for a while. Like, go away. Leave me alone unless it's I massage. know.
1: <laughs> you know, my nickname for myself early postpartum was mobile milk unit, <laughs> also known as Moo, because there was like this weird stretch of time where he only wanted to nurse with me carrying him around. <laughs> Like absurd. I remember we were traveling. I was in an airport and he only wanted to nurse being carried around. I don't mind nursing in public, but I was like, I can't nurse you while walking around in an airport like Jesus. It's crazy. Yeah, Yeah, your body is so not your own and you're absolutely right, so in service of this other human for so long. It's crazy. And to just go back to the physical recovery thing real quick, you know, for me it was Really reassuring to go to a public floor physical therapist and have a proper evaluation done to kind of know what was going on down there. Cause you really don't know. I actually didn't have any of the urinary incontinence stuff, like peeing my pants accidentally while sneezing or anything like that. Other than like the first week, the first week is just like, <laughs> first
0: week, first you're week, like, I don't know
1: if I remember how memory. to poo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But beyond that, I felt like that actually healed up okay. But like you, I had some scar tissue. And so having reassurance that, oh, hey, this is actually just scar tissue that needs to, you know, self massage or be stretched or just heal in time, and then keep doing your pelvic floor engagement. And I did a lot of Katie Bowman has a lot of excellent stuff on pelvic floor. It's not just about kegels and sometimes overdoing kegels makes things worse so there's a lot of functional movements like squats and different activities that can help naturally engage your pelvic floor muscles and give them the proper functional movement they need to be strong be able to contract and be able to relax as well and so having that reassurance from the pt let me know like okay this is normal nothing's crazy this is just part of birth and the more that i talk to moms I feel like everyone has some sort of a story related to pelvic floor function because those muscles, A, were changed during pregnancy, and then B, if you give birth vaginally, they're often stretched a lot. I mean, like two or three times more than they normally are, and it takes seemingly forever (laughs) for it to go back. You know, a lot of countries, you're automatically, you know, seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist is an automatic. That's something that every woman gets. And that's not the norm in the US. So I'm a big proponent for people who are not in those countries, like France has it, for example, at your six week checkup, ask for referral, you don't know if you're going to use it or not, you can think everything feels fine. I thought everything felt fine at six weeks. It wasn't until I was on that hike that I was like, Oh, crap. Something's not normal. Oh, no, I ruined it. Ah, it's forever ruined. You know? um, just ask for that referral and have it handy so that there's one less roadblock to getting that appointment. I think every woman would benefit. And I know not every woman will follow through, but just get the referral. <laughs> Decide it's, later. It's so useful to have a specialist who can help. And
0: I actually got to see one and it was an accident because I had a blowback injury that wouldn't go away. And they said, why don't you go see a physical therapist? And the physical therapist looked at me and was like, did you recently give birth? And I said, yes. And she's like, if it's okay with you, we'd like to refer you to the pelvic floor specialist. So they do an internal exam and they check out all your muscles. And I learned so much. There's like 50,000 different muscles and they're all so connected because your pelvic floor is included in like how your legs turn and your hips rotate and like the openings and closings of all of the different bodily functions to supporting your abdomen, like the anatomy side of me really geeked out about it. But then she also gave me exercises to do, which I never would have known on my own, like little tiny helpful things.
1: Yes, they are specialists. And these are PTs that are specialists in women's health or pelvic floor. They come by different names, but they've done a ton of training in it. I mean, there's so many cool things they can do, but It's different than going to your six-week checkup and their internal exam. Their internal exam, a doctor or for most midwives, is just to see that like your tissue has actually healed (laughs) and come back together. They're not doing tests of your muscle function. They're not doing a full pelvic floor assessment. That's not their training unless they've done some other extra course. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's really, really cool to have a women's PT like in your court. I felt like my job for the
0: first twelve months postpartum was like, a learn how to be a mom, constant work in progress, and B, maintain sanity. But after those things were partially met, for me, the goal was feel like I have most of my body back, like I could start exercising rigorously again at twelve months, and to do all the prep work and the leg work in advance, which was little bit of physical therapy, walking. We did so much walking. Like when you have a child that can be carried, just so much walking and things like that. I want to change the subject slightly or just move us into the nutrition aspect of this because you are a nutritionist and expert in food and we've heard so much for people who've listened to the previous episode about food while you're pregnant. Can we talk a little bit about the nutritional demands on a new mom and Things that maybe people don't know about, I mean, you mentioned it, how hungry you can get, but also how to take care of yourself and nourish yourself in that postpartum period.
1: Yes. It's an excellent question because a lot of women assume that it's just your nutrient intake during pregnancy that matters the most, and that once your baby is born, you can kind of go back to square one and everything is normal. Actually, as a new mom, particularly for women who are breastfeeding, And whether you like it or not, in the first week or two, like your body's at least trying to make breast milk. So your energy demands are are high, particularly in the early part of that healing phase, healing from birth. But a lot of nutrients beyond just calories going up, a lot of other nutrients are higher postpartum than they are when you're pregnant. And so for breastfeeding mothers, for example, calorie needs are 200 calories higher than when you're pregnant or 500 calories higher than you were pre-pregnancy. I know every woman has a different experience of her appetite, but for me, I felt like at the end of pregnancy, my appetite was actually not that high. There, there wasn't enough room in my torso to fit food. So it was kind of just like eating like a bird more than like eating huge meals because there wasn't room. (laughs) There was like a baby pushing up (sighs) my stomach. And postpartum, I was a bottomless pit. Like. My husband brought me a breakfast, like a couple eggs and veggies and like a piece of bacon, kind of a breakfast, typical breakfast I might have during pregnancy. And I scarfed that down in minutes and was like, so just so you know, I'm going to need like triple or quadruple this amount of food because I'm still hungry. Like it was as if I hadn't even eaten anything at all. (laughs) So I know. It's insane. How much the appetite goes up.
0: It's so much, if you're a breastfeeding mother, but also for like for the recovery aspect, you know how you eat so much after a marathon. Exactly. The I remember that if people came to visit and they didn't bring food, I would literally grow to tears. Like I would just start crying. And I know that there's hormones and there's other things, but also like I was so hungry that I couldn't even understand spending an hour or two hours or whatever with people around and not getting to eat and then having to take care of the food. I definitely told my husband as well, I was like, you need to get me a lot of food immediately, often more than you think. And he had trouble with it, because he would gain a lot of weight, because like, we just eat meals together. And he finally had to say, like, you eat twice as many meals as I do. Like, I eat at 12 and six, you eat at 12, three and six, like, it's just you're eating twice as much.
1: Yeah, I was the same. I was eating probably double portions of what my husband was eating. And my husband is a big eater. Like, when we met, he was the kind of person who would get like two hamburgers. For dinner. So it was a lot of food, like way more food than I even could possibly fathom I needed Mm. to eat. I needed to eat it. Like I mentioned earlier, I was one of those people who dropped the weight quickly. And it's like, I actually was dipping below my pre-pregnancy weight in the early weeks postpartum. And I needed to actually just keep eating massive quantities of food. So I was actually nervous about getting enough which is can be opposite of some women's experience, but I was starved. Yeah, yeah, so hungry. And you need that food. So A, you have your tissues that are healing and those require a lot of nutrients, like especially protein and especially the types of protein that help with building collagen. So especially animal foods that are like slow cooked meats that have a lot of connective tissue in them or bone broth, stuff like that. Those are super, super nourishing. Chicken soup, stews. A lot of these actually have their roots in traditional cultures. Those would be some of the first foods they'd bring to a mother post-birth was soups and stews. A, it's warming and usually kind of comfort food. And B, you're getting a lot of those nutrients to heal. And then you just have the energy demands so high for A, healing from birth, and B, breastfeeding. It's a matter of quantity. Quantity to fill you up. It's a quantity to keep your breast milk flowing. And so a lot of times just as a matter of getting in the calories you actually need to eat a lot more fat as well
0: Mm. so
1: and there's a lot of good things in fat that help to enrich the breast milk like vitamin a and vitamin e and vitamin d and other things that are good for you as well you might actually need to be eating a higher fat diet for a period of time as well carbohydrates too it's not like we need to forget about those like a lot again meeting your energy needs is a matter of getting enough food in total so you don't need to put carbs to the side, but I think the most important ones nutrient-wise and the ones that are most rich in the micronutrients that replenish what has been sent to baby during pregnancy and for the tissue healing are found mostly in fatty, proteiny kinds of foods. And so when you start going back into what traditional cultures encouraged, like I mentioned, the soups and stews and curries, high iron foods, again, so lots of meat, Higher fat foods. Full fat dairy is pretty popular. Like in India, they serve warm milk. A lot of cultures focus on warm foods, warm beverages, teas. In Mexico, they make a tole, which is like a cornmeal based warm beverage or hot chocolate as well. And then foods that have important omega 3 fats, A, for your healing, but also for baby, because you pass those into your breast milk. So, seafood, eggs, grass fed beef. I did a lot of salmon early postpartum, like fish tasted delicious to me for some reason. So just really emphasizing those warm, comforting, nourishing foods. And, you know, no one's going to be perfect. There are going to be a lot of people who will bring you sweets and desserts and whatnot. And it's fine to have some of those as well. Again, a lot of times it's a, a matter of quantity <laughs> that you need to get in. But also thinking about the quality of those foods, if you can make requests for people to bring, you know, meal type foods versus just showing up with snacks and desserts, that actually serves you better. It's like, a you have to kind of take a stand on your self care and nourishment to request something. So if you have people that love to bake, sure, have them bring cookies over, but see if they also might be willing to bring some actual food food, because you need both. And you don't have time to cook or energy or the ability to even cook early postpartum. And you need other people to provide that to you. So a lot of people do like meal trains. I know I had one that was set up for me, which was super, super helpful. And that just saves you. Or if you don't have that freezer meals, you just can't really cook for yourself. And you're partner if you have a partner is usually stretched pretty thin also helping out with babies so there's not much time for you and your partner to spend in the kitchen you need other people to step up and that's something that's tricky in our culture that's so separated and compartmentalized it's so hard to do
0: because it's it's this time when you're being asked to rise to the challenge and like, learn all about new motherhood. And then there's so much cultural pressure to do it all. And yet, when you look to other cultures, like you're mentioning, there's so many models of cultures where, like, her feet aren't even supposed to touch the ground for the first 30 days, or yeah. the only thing she does is nurse the baby because there's a different understanding of how critical those first 30 days are for your recovery and your resiliency and your long term health. There's so much happening even below the surface that you can't see where your tissues are being repaired, you're learning everything for the first time. What do you recommend in terms of preparation? Like if there are mamas who are listening that are seven or eight months pregnant and they want to prepare, do you recommend cooking food in advance? Like how did you set up
1: to make sure you had enough food? Oh my gosh. Well, I didn't do a great job. (laughs) I'll flat out say I didn't do a great job because I assumed that I was going to go to like 41 weeks or beyond. So it was the first time mom. And I didn't. I went into labor like on 39 weeks on Mm -hmm. the dot. Mm -hmm. Kiddo was fully cooked, by the way, like eight pounds, two ounces. He was done. He was good. (laughs) We're (laughs) ready. Time to go. But I was surprised. I thought that I would have another two weeks to cook. So I did not do a great job of stocking my freezer. I had some things saved. What I would start doing is when I'd make a batch of something, I'd sometimes make a double batch or if I had leftovers, I would like package up a little chunk of lasagna, stuff that in the freezer. I'd package up some chili and stuff that in the freezer, but it wasn't definitely was not enough <laughs> when mm-hmm. I looked back because I ended up having some wonderful friends who set up a meal train for me. And I had people from my community bring in a dinner each day for the first two weeks. I agreed to two weeks. Looking back, I probably should have agreed to a month. That actually would have been more helpful. And then once I got through those meals, then it was like, okay, dipping into the freezer stash. I also had my mom come out and help. But unless you have a helper or a mother, mother mother-in-law, aunt, whoever could be a man too. I don't want to just leave women in the kitchen, right? A chef. <laughs> Somebody that you know that can cook for you. Fantastic. For me, I mean my mom does cook, but it's not like her favorite thing to do. It's just sort of like a a task that needs to get done. So it felt weird for me to be like, "Hey, can you cook this for me? Hey, can you cook this for me?" Looking back, it would have been great if I'd pre-prepared meals or been more assertive with, "I need dinner. I need you to figure it out." And I don't want to give you any input because I don't have like the mental capacity to do so right now. Make whatever, and I'll eat it. I was really non-picky about what I was eating postpartum. Like I was just I didn't care. I was just like I just need to eat. Somebody do it for me. So if I look back, I wish I had done. More meal prep and freezer meals extended my meal train longer and or done some sort of a meal delivery service, which for me wasn't available in the area I was living. But if I had been in a big city at the time, that would have been available. For me, it wasn't available because I was living far from family. But if I was closer to family, I would have thought about which family members are great at cooking and love doing it and don't need any of my input. And I can just sort of put it on them to do it. <laughs> that would have been fantastic.
0: This reminds me of something that someone shared with me that I'll share on the podcast because I think it's really useful. Before, well, or even if you are postpartum, write two lists on your fridge because it saves you the time of having the conversation. The first one is like five things people can help with, right, so that you don't have to have that awkward conversation every time somebody comes over and be like, well, could you maybe do the dishes instead of sitting there? Like put a note on the front door that says, list is on the fridge, that's what we need help with. And then on the fridge, like put a note of like, do a load of laundry, empty our dishwasher, bring a meal, and just have things ready because people love helping. But the barrier is often they don't know which thing to do. And so getting over that conversation part can be so useful. They're like, oh, great, here's how I get to help. And the other one I'd put up is like your five favorite meals. Just be like, I love egg casserole. I love fish. I love like macaroni and cheese. You know, put your five favorite things. This is a process I use in writing all the time too which is it's hard to come up with the idea and execute it at the same time. So if you can like put those ideas in a place where your brain doesn't have to think about it, people come over, you grunt and you point to the fridge and that's your job.
1: Yes, Yes, that is genius.
0: I just wanted to jump in and share it because like the mission of this podcast is helping as many moms as we can. So (laughs) like whenever I remember these things that people have told me, I'm like, Oh, here, here, take this, use this, like don't go hungry. And I so agree with you that more food is better than no food, like just the food.
1: I mean, I'm the one who's more into cooking in the family more so than my mom. Like I took over doing a lot of cooking when I was in high school because she didn't enjoy it that much. And I did like I cooked a whole Thanksgiving feast when I was 17 with like homemade pies and like, like I can cook (laughs) and I'm really efficient in the kitchen and I tend to like things a certain way. And so when my mom was helping, she kept asking me from the kitchen, okay, I'm making the lasagna. Okay. What's next? And I was like, just make it like, I don't care how it's made. I don't care if You measure out the spices or what spices do you use. Just make something that is somewhat edible and it will probably taste super delicious to me. But I think I had people like almost nervous because I'm known for being like the foodie cook. And so that kind of worked against me. So Mm. yes, hindsight, I would super, super pass off any responsibility because it was really annoying. Like I didn't have the mental capacity to be like, uh... She's like, what else goes in then I don't know, lasagna or whatever it was. Um, she's like, I put garlic in oregano. Is that is that right? Anything else? Which is like, don't ask me. I don't know. I'm so tired. It's
0: so <laughs> true. I think there's such a disconnect between understanding what the mental state is, especially those first four to six weeks. Like, people talk to you as though you're able to have like a totally comprehensive conversation. And I just kind of tilted my head like a dog, you know, that's looking at you with one eyebrow raised, being like, human, what are you doing? Like, you know, this is (laughs) not the time or the place. Like, you're weird. Get out of here. It's such a different experience where people would expect, like, somehow you would, I don't know, just be like your old self. And of course, in some ways you are, but then in other ways you're like, just shut up and cook. Like, go away. Leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's astonishing because there's such a disconnect, I think it's really hard for people who aren't in that or haven't had that to get it. And I had to set up in several decades since they've done that, right? And then they think they know, and they don't actually remember. That's how sometimes worse. Yeah. So
1: like my best helpers, I was lucky at the time, because I had had a number of friends who had had babies, like in the last 18 months or so when I had my son who were local. And they were by far the best people to talk to or bounce ideas off of or help because they knew to just do things and stay out of your way. And they weren't yet in that phase of parenthood where you've like forgotten. You really do as a parent block out some of the most challenging parts of parenthood. So, so my mom, for example, like she breastfed my sister and I both like no issues. And she just has these like glowing feelings about breastfeeding and, oh, it's so beautiful. And when you're nursing a newborn and your nipples are still getting used to having something attached to them literally 24-7, I mean, it's around the clock. Yes, it's beautiful and sweet, but it's also kind of uncomfortable and weird. And you have weird engorgement. I had to like alternate hot and cold packs because that's like awkward. You have to do like self-massage in the shower so you don't get clogged ducks. There's just all these things that are like, awkward and uncomfortable and weird. And I'm like, okay, I know you're all nostalgic about this being so beautiful, but telling me that it's beautiful right now is not helpful. I just need somebody who knows like what's going to make this feel better right now. Oh, it's thousand percent. Oh, you'll look back. I'm like, yeah, yeah. This was like more than 30 years ago, mom. Yes. (laughs) Not right now. Not the time. Now more than two years out, I can look at it and be like, oh yeah, that's so sweet. But at the time, nope. You just need help right away in the next hour to make it feel better and move on. I feel like you need like three or four friends that are close and experienced to you, like
0: that have had babies maybe within the last two years and are willing to give it to you straight. And I had those girlfriends on text. They didn't live anywhere near me, but like my best friend lives across the country and then my cousin lives in Boise. When I was like going crazy with breastfeeding in the beginning, I texted them and I was like, did you breastfeed? What was it like? How did, and it was so great because I got three or four women and one of them was like, you know, I made it three months and I couldn't go anymore. And the other one was like, it was actually really easy for me. And I know it could be hard for a lot of people. My cousin had trouble, but like, does that help? Tell me to shut up if you need me to shut up, right? Like it was useful because I got this bolstering of people who had just done it. They had all these different experiences and I felt like, okay, this is normal and everyone's different. And like, we'll figure this out. And that was so much more useful.
1: Yes, yes, it is. That and also, if you don't have those friends, or in addition to those friends, if you run into any challenges or things feel strange with breastfeeding, hopefully, while you're pregnant, you have connected with a local lactation consultant that you can contact and get help. I was really fortunate in that the area I was living had a, it was like a community supported lactation support network with like a IV CLC, like the best qualified lactation consultants. And she was fantastic. She would do house calls, she came out to the house, she'd bring the, you know, calibrated baby scale and weigh your baby. Like I had some challenges in the first two weeks where my son was he actually was totally fine. It was a missed weight at the doctor's office by someone who didn't know what they were doing, but they thought that he was losing too much or wasn't gaining back to his birth weight quick enough. And so instead of going back and forth with the doctor, I was hooked up with a lactation consultant and she'd come out with the scale and we did the whole pre and post feed. So it was like, okay, yes. Are you transferring breast milk to your baby or not? Yes, this is happening. Good. You're making enough milk. Okay, good. He's gaining. All right. We're good to go. And it was like having that reassurance in those first 2 weeks that like yes your baby's getting milk yes everything is going fine with breastfeeding yes like the latch looks good yes your symptoms are normal i had like a weird letdown thing on one side where i i can't even remember what it's called now but i'd get shooting pain in one breast when it let down bizarre it's something that sometimes happens in the first couple weeks But it was something that I was reassured would go away and it did. So it made it tolerable for me to like get through those first couple weeks knowing that this was something that is that some women experience. So AKA it's in the spectrum of normal and it'll go away and normalize and be fine. But if I hadn't had that reassurance, I don't know if I would have stayed nursing. It was really uncomfortable on one side for several weeks, you know, I remember thinking like, gosh, I always thought I'd breastfeed. But like, I completely understand why women choose not to this sucks. Thankfully, it got better. But if I hadn't had that, maybe my decision would have been different. So yes, the peer support is huge. And also, if you need professional support, like know who to call and call them right away. I couldn't agree more.
0: There's an article on the Startup Pregnant website that talks about what to do to prepare postpartum. Not from a nutrition standpoint, but like just a preparation standpoint. And one of the things is research a sleep consultant, a lactation consultant, and I'm going to go add a physical therapist. Do it while you have the time to research in advance. Yeah. You probably won't use them, which is great, but like having to do the research later when you're sleep deprived, like just get three numbers and three names so that when or if you run into a problem where you're like, well, my boobs have been hurting for six weeks and this is really awful, I would like to call someone, you can just call them.
1: Right. Mm. or my boobs have been hurting for 6 hours. Yeah. yeah, it's but true. It's really, true. Like, like that's call true. earlier rather than later. That's true. It's it's hugely beneficial. For me it was like the PT thing. It turned out nothing was wrong in terms of breastfeeding, but I had the reassurance that what I was experiencing was in the spectrum of normal and would get better. Like sometimes that's all you need. So hey, if that's like what the consult goes towards and you get the peace of mind, then like you have so much less anxiety and so much mental space for other things. There's enough to worry about (laughs) with the
0: baby. It's so true. Lily, thank you so much for joining us and for talking about all of these different issues, postpartum and taking care of yourself and the pace of healing. So where can people find you and read your book?
1: You can find my book over at realfoodforpregnancy.com. It's available on Amazon and Kindle as well. Over at that website, by the way, I do give away the first chapter for free. So check it out. I also have a whole chapter. The last chapter of the book is all about the fourth trimester. It's all postpartum healing stuff. So a lot of in-depth information about like what traditional cultures did in those first 30 to 40 days that are like so sacred, <laughs> for lack of a better word and why they did those things, which foods to emphasize, how your, you know, food intake affects your breast milk if you're somebody who's breastfeeding, the postpartum, like mental stuff that can come up, what things to get lab tests for if you have certain symptoms, what supplements to take. I mean, there's just a ton that I cover. And that's just in that one, that one last chapter. So there's a lot more in the book than that. You can find me on my main website, which is PilatesNutritionist.com. And then the usual social media outlets, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
0: Thank you so much for coming back and talking about this. I know after the last show, we had such a good conversation about postpartum healing and recovery and and our women's bodies that I was like, well, we got to record this. So I'm really glad that we did. Yes, likewise. Alright right, everyone, just a reminder that if you want to learn more about the mastermind we're putting together for Startup Pregnant, it's an amazing community support space for women to connect with each other about entrepreneurship and parenting. We're doing the beta around this summer, so you can find out a lot more about the program over on our website, startuppregnant.com slash mastermind. Get your name on the list so that I can send you information about it because we're putting together a small pilot group for a group of women this summer. We would love to have you there. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.